Well, that song is kind of what we're talking about this morning, just that hope and that, that longing for the coming of the Messiah and the promises that we have that God has given to us. Well, good morning. My name is Jared Irvine. I'm the pastor of junior high, and Pastor John is still recovering from his, his neck surgery, and so continue to pray for him in his recovery, but uh, I'm filling in this morning. Jesus says this in John 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a troubling statement, perhaps, but it is so true. In every age, every generation, no matter what period of history you're living in, you're going to have trouble that there is going to be crisis in your life. And as believers, we look to God and we pray and we long and we plead for his help, right? That we as believers, we believe that God is the sovereign Lord of history, which means he's moving history towards a goal, towards an end that he has planned. But before we get to that, we're like, what is this trouble? And Lord, what are you going to do about this situation? And our gracious God, he tells us. He tells us hope. He tells us a word and a message that gives us that hope to live through the crisis, to know that whatever we're going through, whatever trouble it is, that's not the final say. Because we believe and we trust and we have faith in this God who's the Lord of history, who's moving it towards an end. And he has, he has a solution. And you see the solution from Genesis to Revelation is the Messiah, is this coming king. Well, Jesus in John 16, you know, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop with, in this world you will have trouble and then walks away. What does he say? He says, take heart. Have some encouragement this morning. Stand firm. Yeah, you will have trouble, but take heart. Then he says this, for I have overcome the world. This world of trouble, this world of chaos, this world full of crisis. It's he who has overcome it. And so we put our hope in him. And of course, we're, we're looking at a series called, What Child Is This? And this child is Jesus. He is this, this Messiah. He is this coming king that God has promised. He is the solution and the hope of our world. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the prophets in the Old Testament and how they foretold of this coming king. And how God gave hope in the midst of crisis. And so what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at a few different prophets. But what's interesting about the prophets in the Old Testament, and what I'm going to talk about is the writing prophets. So those that have written stuff that we have in our Bibles today. So like someone like Elijah, he's not a writing prophet. He was a prophet in Israel's history but we don't have anything called like the book of Elijah. But we do have a book called Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah 
and Micah. These are the guys we're going to look at this morning because we have their words recorded and that we can read today. Several thousand years ago. Amazing. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at these centers of crisis. That in Israel's history, God raised up these prophets. And they gave hope in the midst of crisis. That there were these clusters of prophets. They weren't all at, you know, the same time. And they all weren't just spread out. But during these very pivotal moments in Israel's history, God raised up men like Isaiah and Micah. And they were contemporaries of one another. And they spoke a word of, of judgment to try to wake up the people to be like, look, this is serious and you need to repent and turn to the Lord. But also in the midst of all of that, they say the amazing, these amazing message of hope and restoration and it's centered on what God's going to do in this world. And through the agent of his Christ, which is a Greek term which means the anointed one, this king figure, okay? So that's what we're going to be doing is we're looking at these sinners of crises and how God gave hope uh, through the prophets in these situations. And so your handout this morning, there's a, there's a lot of verses. I don't necessarily expect you to like all flip through. I'm going to read them. You can listen to them. And uh, this week you could, you could read it, meditate on it. Because uh, we're going to move kind of quickly through some of these, some of these prophets. And so that's our, uh, our handouts, our map this morning. So we're going to take a journey through the prophets a little bit. So our main point this morning is that in the crisis of this world, we have the hope of the coming king of all. So in the crisis of this world, we have the hope of the coming king and again, Christ is that king. Also, the term Messiah is Hebrew, and it means the same thing. But before we get into the prophets, we got to look at our original crisis to frame all of this. Because the reason is, you might wonder, okay, so these prophets are going to prophesy about this coming Jewish king. Well, why do we care about a Jewish king? Why do we celebrate the birth of a Jewish king? We don't celebrate the birth of like some pharaoh 2,000 years ago. Why does it matter about a Jewish king in our life? What we're going to see is that there is a larger context to everything. And it's got to start here in the beginning here at Genesis chapter 3. We're going way back. Before there's Israel, before there's any nation at all, there's one man named Adam and a, and a woman named Eve. And they live in this garden and there's to have this perfect relationship with God. But there's a tree in the garden, right? And this tree is to give them an opportunity to obey God, to trust in him and what he says. Or they're going to disobey God. They're not going to trust in him. And they're going to choose what they think is right. Well, you know the story, right? They, they sinned and they disobeyed God. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he had good for them. They thought he was holding out on them. And they were deceived by this serpent that we know later as the spiritual father of evil, so to speak, Satan, the adversary. And so that's the beginning. In the midst of this crisis, because after this moment, they're kicked out of the garden. Which means this relationship that they had with God has been ruined, has been spoiled. And they're kicked out into this land. And then Genesis chapter 5 is the saddest genealogy in all the Bible because all it says 
If you, realize, if you read any other genealogy, it doesn't say this. But after every single one, it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Time after time after time after time. It's death now. This is the consequence of their actions. But this is not the end of the story, you see. And in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this horrible thing that humanity now has to live in, God gives his first message of hope, his first message of salvation. And it's centered on the seed of the woman. So it's in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you, that's, he's talking to Satan, between you and the woman, and, I, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the seed of the woman, the offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the serpent might get a bite out of this person, which we know is the cross. But ultimately, he's going to have the fatal blow against this tempter. And all that has followed after that, the aftermath. And so Genesis gives us this amazing word of hope is that from this woman, there's going to be a deliverer, there's going to be a rescuer, there's going to be a savior. And the rest of Genesis, well, really 1 through 11, is all humanity, right, in view. But then Genesis chapter 12 radically narrows its scope, and it focuses on one guy. His name's Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God promises that through Abraham, all the nations... All the nations will be blessed through him. And the rest of Genesis then focuses on not only Abraham, but Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, follows this, this family. Because what Genesis is saying is you see this seed of the woman is coming from this family. This is where the Savior and Deliverer is. And so... Not a spoiler, because we all know this. Jesus is Jewish. He's born of a Jewish heritage. And this is good news, because this is the promise that God gave. This is the fulfillment of that. But you see, salvation is not just about Jewish people, right? It's always been God's vision for all humanity. And that's good news if you're a Gentile like myself. Right? Because then we can be saved too. That he is not just the king for Israel. He's the king for all humanity. And Isaiah 49.6 says this to the servant. It's one of the servant songs of Isaiah. And he's talking to the Messiah figure. And he's, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That is like, it's too easy for you just to be a savior of Israel. No, God's vision for this agent, for this Messiah, for this coming king is far grander than that that his salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And as we walk through some of these prophets, what we're going to see is that phrase repeated a couple times, that ends of the earth. 
This is God's vision. And of course, we get to Acts. And what does it say? That you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is God's vision for humanity. And it's going to be through this seed of the woman that we know. What child is this? His name is Jesus. And so he's not just a Jewish king. He's a universal king. He's our Messiah. He's our Lord. Just as much as the Jewish nation. And so why do we care about a Jewish king? Because he's my king. He's our king. And that's important. So, let's start into the prophets. And our first crisis is in the 8th century. So this is 700 B.C. 700 years before the coming of Christ. So keep that in mind because there's going to be prophecies about him. And you're like, but they got to wait 700 years. That's a long time. So in this, in this century, there is this dominating world power. Their name is Assyria. They don't exist today. They're in what modern-day Iraq is, right? So this is a world-dominating superpower. And they're actually an expanding empire. So really kind of for the first time, this big nation says, you know what? We're pretty strong and mighty. Why don't we just like take out all these other nations that surround us and we rule the world? That's what they did. And so in the midst of this century, God raises up these prophets, Isaiah and Micah. They lived in this century. And this Assyria becomes a huge threat to the Israel kingdom, both the northern and the southern kingdom. And in fact, in 722, this same century, the northern kingdom, the capital is Samaria, they call it Israel in the Old Testament, if you know this, Assyria exiles them, destroys them, and takes them, deports them away. And they're never the same again. They never come back. The Samaritans end up becoming that kind of people. But Assyria is the world-dominating power, and they come into actually even to Judah itself. And if you read in the, the book of Isaiah, there's this great deliverance in that time period. But there's this huge threat that looms over them, and they could be, they're freaking out about this because God has promised that Israel would be this great kingdom, but yet Assyria is far greater than they are, and they threaten to destroy them. So in the context of that, let's hear these, these famous prophecies that we read every Christmas. But you see, every prophet is writing and speaking in a certain context, in a certain time period, and a certain threat. And this is Assyria. Assyria is the big one of the day. So read, we're going to read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. This is God's answer to the threats of the day to the threats of Assyria and whoever might replace them as a world superpower. They're not the final say. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom 
to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That famous Christmas passage. He's like, okay, yeah, Assyria, huge looming threat over us. Here's what I have. This child born to us. And his government will be no end. No end. And this term peace, the prince of peace, that's God's solution. That's God's promise. And then if we flip over to Isaiah's contemporary, the same exact time, in Micah 5, 2. He says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. We're going to skip down to four. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is God's promise. This is his answer to these threats. That though they might seem huge in the moment, and these people are filled with fear, God gives them this message. He's saying, look, I know, I know This is a crisis. I know this seems like a big thing, but he's Lord of history, and he already has something planned. And again, Jesus is not born for 700 years, and he still gives them this hope. It's not an immediate solution, but but it's an eventual forever solution. And again, whoever replaces Assyria, it doesn't matter who the world power is. God has his Messiah and his kingdom and that's coming and that's secure and that's what you put your hope in in the midst of whatever crisis, whatever threat is looming over you. And that goes for what we are living through today. That this doesn't last forever, but his kingdom does. And that child will be born. And from our vantage point, he's coming again. So the second crisis we'll look at is the crisis of the exile. So this is about 100 years later from Isaiah and Micah. And really it's what I'm calling a lack of spiritual leadership leads to destruction. And so the southern kingdom, I already said the northern kingdom already got exiled in 722. Now it's the other one. Judah, Jerusalem, the temple, David's family, his clan, everything. This is... The second one, and this is the one that also goes into exile. Well, Babylon has, is the next superpower. And they have a meteoric rise. They almost come out of nowhere. And they defeat Assyria three separate times. They kept moving their capital. And they just kept defeating them. And they take over their place as the world-dominating superpower. And then they come into Jerusalem, and this time... It's game over. 
They destroy them. They destroy the temple. This is Solomon's temple. And they exile the people. Why? Well, the Bible gives us a clear answer why. And that's why the books of Kings are written, why Chronicles is written. It's to tell you exactly why it happened. It's not because Babylon is so great and Israel was just weak. It doesn't look through the lens of just secular, like, oh, they have a strong army and we don't. No. It looks through the lens of their spiritual leadership failed. They led the people into idolatry and they committed injustice. And because of God's covenant with the people, they did not uphold their end of the covenant. Therefore, there are consequences to that, which they agreed to in Deuteronomy. And therefore, they failed the covenant and they were kicked out in exile. That sounds like the Garden of Eden. They did not trust God. They did not obey God. And there were consequences as exile. So, in the midst of this, they might be wondering, but will God uphold his end of the promise? Because he's promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that there would be a king forever. But now we don't even have a kingdom. So is God going to be faithful to his end of the covenant? What about that vision that Isaiah gave in Micah? Is that just, was that just to just make us feel good? Or is there some real substance to that? Well, here's the good news, is that God continues to give words of encouragement and words of hope. And he raises up prophets during this time. Two of them. Well, there's many actually, but Jeremiah and Ezekiel are two big prophets during this time period. They prophesied right before the exile and after the exile. And we'll read two passages from them today. Jeremiah 23 Five and six it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Emphasis on the righteous branch. This is unlike these other kings you've had. He's a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Unlike these other kings, he is actually going to reign with justice and righteousness. This is what the people have failed to have, right, in their leaders. But now God's still promising this. He's still promising. He's I'm not done with Israel. I'm not done with you. I have the king, and he's coming, and this is the kind of king you need. In Ezekiel 23 and 24 of chapter 34, he says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is what the people needed. This is what God continues to promise, is that he has this Messiah coming. That though they're in exile, and though they had terrible leaders, 
God has, he's the Lord of history. He has a plan. He has his king coming. He has this good shepherd coming. And as we know, Jesus in John 10 calls himself the good shepherd. He shall come. So then, moving on to the third crisis, there's this something called post-exile. What now? They're in the same place, but it's different, and they're still waiting. So Jeremiah predicted the exile would end in 70 years, and he was right. They came back. Babylon, like I said, Babylon had this meteoric rise. Well, just, they, they, they went up fast, they came down fast. And they didn't last long. And the Medo-Persian Empire comes in, Cyrus the Great, they take him out, and Cyrus says the people can go back. So they get to come back to the land. But this time it's, it's different. There's no king. And the second temple that they build under the, the leadership of Zechariah and Haggai is not the same as Solomon's. And so they're, they're experiencing some fulfillment of God's promises, but yet there was still a lot more to come. And so they're like, okay, so yeah, God, you were faithful in, in like some of it, but what about all of it? When is all of it going to be fulfilled? Will they ever have that king again? And if you, if you look at Zechariah 9, and so he's, he is prophesying in the post-exile period. And God, God says this through the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. That their king is coming. They're, this humble, righteous, having salvation king is coming. And here's what's important is that God hasn't forgotten his promises. His timing may not be ours, but he continues to say the same thing. It doesn't matter what time period we're talking about in the history and what crisis they're going through. Isaiah and Micah, exile, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, whoever it is, wherever it is, because God has one plan, one hope, one salvation. It's his coming king. It's his Messiah. And he's coming and we have to trust him in the midst of the trouble of this world, in the midst of the crisis. Because God reigning is the good news of the Old Testament. Check out Isaiah 52, 7 and 10. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's the term for gospel. So this is a person declaring good news who publishes peace, who brings good news, the gospel of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's the good news of the Old Testament. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord 
to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Our God reigns. That is the good news. And the good news today is that our God reigns. Jesus Christ, he came, the Messiah. And next week, please come, because Stephen Elliott is going to talk about how Jesus was born on that Christmas night in Bethlehem. How God promised all these things through the prophets, and then it actually happened. But Jesus, who was born, he died on a cross, he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, so he is reigning. That's the good news of the gospel that we proclaim today. Jesus is king. And he's coming again to fulfill all the promises that have not yet fully come true. And so, in the midst of our present crisis, and whatever it is, whether it's COVID and the controversies surrounding that, whether it's rising costs or rumors of war, we have these superpowers, China, Russia, what are they going to do? We have environmental issues, we have changing society, we have aging, we have sickness, and we have death. And one word can sum up all these crises, no matter where you live in the history of humanity, and it's fear. And here's the thing about fear. It takes our eyes off the Lord, onto the crisis. And what I want us to hear this morning is that God has a promise, and God will fulfill his promise, and God's promise from whatever crisis, whatever age it is, he has one hope, one salvation, one promise is that his king, that we know his name is Jesus, is coming. He is the solution to the troubles of this world. So remember that what Jesus says, what I started off with, that in this world you will have trouble. But take heart this morning, Grace Community Church, because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That's what we put our hope in, no matter what crisis there is. Because guess what? If it's not this, it's going to be another one. That's just how it is. Crisis never changes, but guess what? Neither does God and neither does his solution. Neither does his promise. He has that for us today. That don't let this fear dominate your life. But instead, look to what God has promised us in his scriptures. His coming king, Jesus. That's our hope today. So it's, it's Christ over crisis. He's the hope of our world in the midst of whatever crisis we have. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are grateful to you that you have a solution to the troubles of this world. Because Lord, without it, we would just be left in hopelessness, in fear. But Lord, we have a hope. You have your king, and he is the one who overcame the world. And so we put our trust in him today. We put our hope in him today. Lord, help us in the midst of whatever crisis that we might be going through to know your promise, 
and it will be fulfilled. Lord, give us this faith to continue to hope in you and trust in you during whatever is going on in our life. We thank you that you have provided your son as the answer and the salvation to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a, a hymn, and it's a great hymn to end on because in our present crisis, he will hold us fast.